Let us pray. God, may the words of my mouth, the meditation of our hearts, may they be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. About two weeks ago, no, about three months ago, when I found that I, we would be moving to Jackson from Hattiesburg, I did what all Methodist pastors moving do. I called the movers. And uh, I called a couple of moving companies. And I told the guy, he said, well, how much do you need moved? And I said, you know, we probably just, maybe just probably one truck should do. It was just a three-bedroom, two-and-a-half bath. And he started laughing. Uh, he said, we're going to send another truck just in case, right? And I was a little offended, you know. Did he not know that we were good Methodists and we give away stuff when we can? And, uh, hey, we took some stuff to the thrift shop uh, uh, yesterday. And I said, that guy's dead wrong, you know. And he was wrong. It took not only two trucks, but about three or four uh, automobile, pack, you know, uh, trips for the automobile. So he was right. I'm sure he gets that all the time. Um, I've got a lot more stuff than I thought I had. What do we do with our stuff? Any of you watch uh, the Netflix show Tidying Up? Uh, Japanese-American woman that helps you reorganize your closets. Y'all have heard that, seen that show, anybody? I only saw one part of one episode, but this, this woman, she comes into a home where there's a lot of stuff. And, uh, and the one scene that I saw where uh, this woman was putting all these dresses and clothes and just layering over, and all of a sudden the bed just disappeared, you know. And she said, now, do you need all this stuff? And she kind of came to an epiphany that maybe she was doing a little too much you know, retail therapy, maybe, and, uh, and that maybe she could give some of this away. Uh, then it showed another scene where this guy was in his garage, and he was holding on to a dented mailbox. Do you really need this dented mailbox? Well, this was there by the door when my wife and I bought the house. Do you really need this in your future? Uh, I guess you're right. And sort of he let it go. This is what somebody wrote about this uh, show. Her name is Marie Kondo, by the way. K-O-N-D-O. And the show is called Tidying Up. Someone wrote, a critic, Her show has ignited controversy and delight with a rigorous system of decluttering and reorganizing. But Kondo doesn't merely want to reorganize our closets. She wants to transform your soul. Netflix brings forth this missionary edge to her work. It says later on, this critic says that Kondo transforms people's relationships to things. Sounds a lot like our story today. Jesus is getting closer and closer to the cross and a gentleman interrupts him in a crowd, he and his disciples, and says, Rabbi, would you please settle an argument I have with my brother? That's what rabbis did in the day. They would settle disputes. And, of course, in that day, the older brother kept two-thirds of the inheritance. The younger brother, one-third. 
Jesus was not in the mood to be an arbiter of somebody's argument, right? It sends him into a parable that he told his disciples. It set up the context, right? Now, he talks about this farmer who got a really bumper crop. There is nothing wrong with having a bumper crop. No sin in that. He doesn't steal anybody else's grain. He doesn't burn anybody else's barn down. He simply begins wondering in Jesus' parable, what do I do with all this stuff, all this crop? And he says to his soul, soul, maybe it's time to build a bigger barn. And so he builds a bigger barn. Now, even storing stuff is not so bad. If you go in the Old Testament and listen or read about Joseph, he was there captive in Egypt, but he worked his way up politically, and he told the king, hey, we need to store this grain for those lean years. And that happens, and Joseph becomes a genius, right? So there's nothing even really wrong with storing stuff, right? But the far farmer falls into the trap, his very next verse Right? He makes a fatally foolish mistake in Jesus' parable. He is entirely focused on the holy trinity of self. Me, myself, and I. There's not a thought about his abundance, how it might bless other people, how it might help the community alleviate pain for somebody maybe in his neighborhood that had a bad year. No, it's me, 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 me. That was one trap he fell into. The second trap is this. Zero recognition of God. No, my goodness, you know, thank you, Lord. Thank you, God, for this blessing you put upon me. No, no, no credit to God. It was as, like, as if maybe he himself thought he sent the rain and he did it all himself. But here's the biggest fatal blow to his thinking, his mentality, and that is this. He believes that somehow wealth, abundance, can guarantee his future. It cannot that would be to mistake wealth and God. He, he's not a fool because he makes provisions for the future. He's foolish because he believes wealth can secure his future. And that's where things go wrong. Now, let's be honest. Who hasn't fallen for that lie? I don't want to see a show of hands. But we all sort of fall into that. We're all enticed by materialism. Let's just... Admit that right off the top. And our reality is, is that no matter how much we have in this world in which we live, we're always aware of things we don't have. And we're bombarded by marketing wizards whose job it is to convince us of the products we need to complete our lives. So it's more, 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 more. Me, 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 me. And we never quite feel like we have enough like the rich farmer, we're tempted to think that having large amounts of money and possessions stored up, that it'll make us secure. But sooner or later, we learn that no amount of wealth or property can secure our lives. No amount of wealth can protect us from a disease or from cancer or from a tragic accident. No amount of wealth can keep our relationship healthy or our families from falling apart. In fact, Sometimes wealth and property can get in the way. That was actually the cause of the brother who is mad at his sibling. Most importantly, 
No amount of wealth can secure our lives with God. In fact, Jesus repeatedly warns that wealth can get in the way of our relationship with God. Take care, says Jesus. Be on guard, says Jesus, about your stuff. Because sometimes the things we own can start to own us and can pull us into more isolation and more isolation and lonely. And all of a sudden, we're all alone in a great big old barn that can't do anything for us. All kinds of greed, Jesus says, be on guard. For one's life, he says, does not consist on the abundance of possessions, it says. Now, it's not... Don't throw away your 401k, right? It's not that God wants us to forget about our retirement or to save for future needs. It's not that God doesn't want us to even eat, drink, and be merry and enjoy what God has given us. We know from the Gospels that Jesus ate and drank with his friends and he loved enjoying life. But the difference is is that Jesus was clear about his true security, where it And that was in his relationship with his father, not in what he had. There's a story about these two uh, authors. I don't know if anybody's heard of the author Kurt Vonnegut. And uh, there's another author, Joseph Heller. He wrote a book called Catch-22, Two Great Novelists. And they were at a billionaire, well-known billionaire's banquet there at a round table, and they were getting ready to eat. And uh, Kurt looked at Joseph, the other author, and says, Joseph, how does it make you feel that the amount of time we've been at this party, that billionaire who's hosting this has made more money than you ever made with Catch-22, your book? Joseph looked at Kurt and said, that guy, that billionaire, has, uh, I've got something he will never have. And Kurt looked at him and said, well, what's that? And he chuckled. And he said, enough. Enough. How much is enough? Greed is one of the seven deadly sins of the early church. And really what greed is, is when we don't know when to quit. It's really about priorities. Let's just be honest. We're Americans. We've got more possessions than 97% of the rest of the world. This is really not about me going, well, you know, I've got some, but I don't have as much as that part. They've got, you know, no. We all have really, if you've got a roof, a computer, an automobile, a house, and a job, really, in some ways, you're rich. Now, the marketers have figured out a way to make us not believe that so that we need something to make us happy But let go of the chase, right? Who is God in our lives? How do we invest in our lives, our lives and the gifts that God has given us? What do we do with our two truckloads of stuff, right? What do we do? Now, it is a great idea. Maybe the thrift shop could certainly, don't throw anything away. Bring it there. We we turn some of the things you don't use anymore into mission money. And I'm so proud that there is an awesome thrift store uh, right behind the church. And so definitely, definitely take advantage of that. This is all about how our lives are fundamentally aligned. 
What do we put our trust in? Toward ourselves and our passing desires? Or toward God and our neighbor? Toward God's mission to bless and redeem the world? I've got to admit to you that the church is really the only place talking like this. This is the only place where you're going to hear about telling you, hey, you know, what you've been given by God is meant to be shared. That's not really the American dream in people's lives. It's like, hold, 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 keep, 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 me, me, me. Everybody here has a theology of economy. Now, you may not can articulate it, but what I do with my stuff, what I do with my money, really says a lot about who I believe God is and what God can do. Tell me about that, and you're telling me about what you believe about God. It's not about how much stuff you have. It's about not letting it have you. Be aware. Slow down. What has God given you that God wants you to bless the world with? That that's, has turned into a radical question, but it's not. It's, it's what it means to grow. I've heard a lot of regrets by deathbeds. I've never heard one person in their last few days of living tell me, I wish I had been more selfish. I really wish I had kept more stuff just for me. No. No, in fact, it's, it's just the opposite. And you know, in this parable, the guy dies, kind of reckons with God. I love that Jesus puts that in, in there because really kind of death is, is sort of a, um, kind of an equalizer anyway, but it's sort of like, you know, you can't take it with you, right? And so like, knowing that might help me just let go just a little bit more of the things, of the grain that I've gotten I wonder what might have happened if he'd used that bumper crop to throw a big party. What might have happened if he had um, sent some of it to another town that had a bad drought or to some of his neighbors? I mean, what if he had thought of God and his neighbor when he thought about this abundance? Then the grain would have been turned into a sign, bread for the world. There would have been a certain amount of freedom in that guy's life. And he could have had the joy of knowing that what God had given him made somebody else's life richer. I cannot wait to hear a bit from our Honduran mission team. Because I know what they're probably going to tell us in a week or two when they share their story. Because many of you know this. If you've ever gone to another part of the world where people barely have anything, Right? That's usually where you can find the most extravagant hospitality. Because maybe in places like rural Honduras, people know that materials aren't there for them to acquire but to share. And poor people are less insulated from death and sickness. They know it's coming. So they have fewer illusions that things can save them. Right? That this... There's another way to live a rich life. Jesus says you're not rich toward God. And that other way, community, helping each other out, finding my purpose in life and not taking anything for granted, you know, that's a gift. Look, we don't really own anything. We're just stewards of what we have. 
They all belong to God. We're just stewards that God has given us for a short time on this earth. And sometimes we don't want to believe that, and it's hard to believe. The more stuff I've got, the harder it is to have an imagination about what can happen. But, but, there's hope. Every now and then, I think, especially in North America, we Christians need to do some greed weeding. That's all you got to do. Just a little weeding. Just pull it up a little bit, right? Every now and then. Who among us doesn't fall into this foolish life from time to time? Understand maybe our own motives for acquiring. Be watchful. Cultivate a spirit of generosity. Live more fully in the relational economy, right? Clear out the greed weeds. You are more than your stuff. You're way more than your stuff. Because if we don't, we'll always be worried about that stuff. And sometimes you have a lot of stuff and sometimes you lose a lot of stuff. And if your hope is just in stuff, then all you're going to have is a big barn. It's possible to be rich toward God. That's the invitation. What's the good news, Bruce? Please tell me the good news. It's, it's not about the stuff. It's about a mindset that Jesus has been describing all over Luke the last two to three Sundays, funding our souls and our community with this great imagination. A lot, rich life toward God is about the good Samaritan who had an abundance of compassion. That's what matters to God. The good stuff, rich toward God, is about Mary at Jesus' feet, spending unproductive time listening to her God remind her that she was made in God's image and she has a purpose in life. The rich life toward God is what we said in the Lord's Prayer. God, forgive us our debts as we forgive those who owe us something. The rich life toward God is to quit keeping score. Quit keeping score. That's what a good friend is anyway. Somebody who does not keep score. Finally, the good life right there in these chapters. Just read chapters 10 through 13 this week. Quit worrying so much. Because you can't control the future. And that's good news. Because all that we are and all that we have belongs to who? God. And our future in God is secure beyond all measure. What really counts in this world, nobody can take away. And you can't store. And the irony, the more you give away, the larger and more beautiful it becomes. And all we need is an imagination to see what God can do with our stuff. All two truckloads of it. Let us pray. God, we're just stewards. And we know that you don't want to be guilt us to wallow in our guilt about what you've given us. We just know that you call us to be imaginative. Just help us to be wise, Lord, about what we need to keep and what we need to share. Help us to be known as generous people who get imaginative, not just with our money, but with our time. Deepen our margins, Lord, so there's more space to serve in your church 
and to be your church in this world. And God, help us to know that our future is secure, not in our checkbooks, but in your hands. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I invite us as we close our worship today to stand and sing our closing hymn. Let us stand and sing together.